You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. So our subject for the day, as you can see on the screen, the title is Moving, it's an active thing, Moving from Worry to Peace. Our subject, our topic, and keep us up at night, can enter our minds without us wanting it to, can enter our hearts without being asked, can produce this knot. You ever had that knot of anxiety in your belly? Something that you're worrying about or stressed about or anxious about? It's an interrupter, it's a thief steals our joy, it compromises our perspective, changes the way that we think, changes the way that we live, if we let it, can change the way we eat, by overindulging when we're stressed and worried, or by not eating when we're stressed and worried. It was applicable to the people that Jesus is talking to over 2,000 years ago, and it is highly applicable to us today. Have you ever been anxious? Have you ever worried? Okay. If we were to ask that question before 2020, we would say, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, of course I have. But now if we ask that question, just a, just a broad survey across the United States and across the world, man, that answer would come back with a resounding yes. Guys, I did some research on anxiety and the stats since covid In the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic, global prevalence of anxiety and and depression increased by a massive 25%, according to the World Health Organization. And some of us may be like, I bet it's higher than that. In 2021 study, nearly half of Americans surveyed reported recent symptoms of an anxiety or depressive disorder. We're not just talking worrying like everyone does, but to the point where it has turned into a consuming and a life-altering disorder. Rates of anxiety, depression, and substance use disorder have increased since the beginning of the pandemic. Nearly one in four young adults were treated for mental health during the pandemic, according to the CDC. And I've been around enough young people teenagers especially, and then young adults to know that anxiety on our college campuses, in our schools, in our homes has exponentially increased since the pandemic, since that time of isolation and fear. I mean, none of us had ever lived through a pandemic before. And so we're, we were coming into this thing, what, what is COVID-19? What will it look like? How, how many of us will it affect? What will our world look like when it's finally over? And we are two years out of it, two and a half years, well, since it started, and there are still repercussions. There are still still increases in anxiety. Apart from just the normal anxiety and worry that we have in life. And so this is a, a subject that if it's not affecting you right now, it's strongly affecting someone that you love someone that you care about. So what do you worry about? 
don't have to answer, but in your head, like what if you could think about that thing that pops up, that comes to your mind without being asked, what is it? For some of us, our personalities are a little more naturally bent toward worry. You're not condemned to that. That's not your lot in life. There can be freedom in that. Some of us have chemical and physiological reasons for our worry and for our anxiety. Sometimes medicine can induce anxiety. Sometimes um, certain diseases and, and imbalances in the body can Im- induce anxiety. There's no shame in medicine if it's needed to help your body and your mind get healthy again. And then some of us have hard, I mean like really hard circumstances that we're walking through. Maybe we're not walking through them personally, but someone that we dearly love is walking through them. And so this isn't some made-up anxiety. This is a legit worry and anxiety that is coming from a circumstance that we feel that we have no control over. There is hope and there is light in the midst of what you're going through. So we started out with, with these statistics that are depressing but yet relatable. We can understand them. We've all at some point in life worried. And I love that the scripture is very clear on it and has so many different scriptures. So we're going we're gonna to look at these two main scriptures that I started with to find our, how to, how, our solution to how to move from worry to peace. Because, yes, we may be affected by worry, but if you're like me, I don't want to be a victim of it. I want to be free. I want to live in the freedom and the hope and the stability in the strong mind that Christ has promised me. We have his resurrection power, as we said together in the Apostles' Creed. We, have, we believe in his resurrection from the dead, and we have that power. That same power is in us. So we have the ability to, through the Lord, only through the Lord, to be conquerors. Not just to kind of fight with anxiety and worry and to win every now and then, but to be victorious. To be conquerors over this thing that can be extremely painful and hard. And I didn't look this up. I've heard it over the years. You know, people throw these statistics out. But maybe I've heard it, and if you've heard it differently, you can tell me. But um, like 80% of the things we worry about never come true. Have y'all heard, heard that before? Like it's a lot of the things that we worry about never come to fruition anyway. And so it's so much time spent, wasted in that. So we're going to look at the, the life-giving scripture that's applicable to all of life and especially to this thing called worry. Um, so in one of the books that I used to prepare, it talked, before we get into the scripture, it talked about how sometimes we, we think we live our lives, well, we believe like theist, and then we worry like deist. And let me explain that. So we say we believe in God. We say we believe in a personal God who loves us, a good, good father who loves us. We see the evidence of what he's done, right? We see the goodness of God. We can name our blessings, count them one by one. I'm not going to sing the whole song this time. Um, but we see all of these different places where he's been good, and we believe that he's personal, that he didn't, that, that he made us, and that he loves us and continues to walk with us. But sometimes when it comes to worry in our future, we, we worry like deists. And deists believe 
yeah, God may have made us. Then he took his hands off. He just went on doing his thing. He does not see me. He does not care about me. He does not provide for me. He made me sure I'll give him credit for that, but he's not in the ins and outs. He does not intimately know me. And that's convicting because that is not my God. That is not your God. Our God is intimately acquainted with all of our ways, as David shared in Psalm 139. Our God cares about us and tells us to cast our burdens on him because he cares for us. Our God knows the number of hairs on our head. That's pretty intimate. Our God wants us to come to him with everything. If it's a big deal to us, it's a big deal to him. He cares what you're feeling. He cares what you're thinking. He does all things for his glory and for our good. He is an involved father. And I think that these verses can help us to see God as that. And it will help us with our worry because we have a place for it. And we know who to give it to. Also in Psalm 139, Man, David, David, he had some worry. He had some anxiety. He wrote a lot of the Psalms, most of them. And there is so much about, I I was doing my research, there's so much about anxiety and anxious thoughts and hearts and worry, all in Psalms. So we're not alone, right? One of the the man who's after God's own heart struggled with worry and anxiety. And at the end of Psalm 139, which is a beautiful um, psalm, if you've never read it and you're wondering about your self-worth, who you are to God, go and read Psalm 139. But at the end of it, David prays this prayer that I would like us to pray before we move on. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Okay, so we're going to take just a couple minutes, maybe not even a minute, We're going to pray real quick, and I want all of us to ask God, where is their worry, where is their anxious thoughts in our hearts today? Father, would you show us where we are harboring anxiety, where there is worry, where we're living and thinking as if you're not involved, as if you don't care as if you're far away. Oh, God, convict us of that. Bring it to light right now, Father. Because that's not who you are. You are loving and kind and so beautiful and so strong and so wonderful and so able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Oh, God, would you do that today? Would you set us free? From the worry and the anxiety, would you show us how through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus was speaking to the people that day. This was um, a part of one of the most famous sermons um, that Jesus preached, the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes, and then it goes through, and it addresses a lot of different things, but it does end in in chapter 7. So we're here toward the end of chapter 6, toward the end of the sermon. 
And Jesus knew, like, this sermon was a pretty big deal. And God knew this thing would be remembered and preached on and prayed through and taught through for thousands of years to come. And what did he choose to spend a big chunk on? Worry. Because he knew it would affect so many of us, all of us at some point. So, how do we move from worry to peace? So, God, Jesus talks about, um, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink. Verse 26, he says, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you're more important and more worthy than these birds. So you're going to get fed. You're going to be taken care of. And then he goes to another part in nature. He talks about the wildflowers of the field. Look how they grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. They're beautiful and they're taken care of, just like you will be taken care of. And going back a little bit in verse 27, it says, Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? In other words, what good is it doing us? Like, the, that hour before bed, when you're laying your head on the pillow, and those thoughts are just going through, and you're thinking about the next day, you're thinking about what you have to do, and, and it's not just thinking, it's worry. Because this is the kind of thing where the worry manifests itself physically. And you begin to feel it. Because God didn't make us compartmentalize people. What happens to us emotionally affects us physically. What affects us physically affects us spiritually. Like we are all one person. All parts of us, one person. And so when we're in the car, we're at the stoplight, or we're driving down the interstate, and these thoughts, these negative thoughts, they're not, they're not productive, they're not helpful. Jesus said, can you add one more, like, can you add one more hour to your life by doing this? No, it's not productive. Don't stay there. Yes, this may be common to every man. This may be common to every woman who's ever lived, but, but it does not have to be. It does not have to take over your life. If that's how God, in verse 30, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, says it again, don't worry. What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So with these folks, he was talking to them. They were, they were in Galilee, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but they were not homeless and desolate people. These were people who had homes. These were people who had jobs. These were people who had families, most of them. So he's, he's not talking to people who literally have nothing. He's talking to people similar to us who have what we need, right? But there's still that worry. And so he is telling them that Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. The people who don't even believe seek after, they worry. But that's not who you are. You are my people. But seek first, this is his solution in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So a very practical thing. 
When you are at night, and a lot, of, a lot of worry hits us at night, before you lay your head down and you're having a hard time going to sleep because of the worry, seek first his righteousness. What does that mean? Well, it means seek first his kingdom. Pray, get, get out of the bed if you need to. Get on your knees beside your bed and pray. And turn your heart to him. God, not, your will be, not my will be done, but your will. God, show me how I can break free from this. God, show me how I can take my mind and my eyes off of myself and put them on someone else. And the word for righteousness here means God's will, God's perfect will. And so he's, he's just like we prayed in our prayer a little bit ago, um, not, um, y'all, I'm drawing a blank. That will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you. Um, so maybe praying that, going through that and asking him. And it's very interesting um, that in, this, in these verses, Jesus mentions worry six different times. So six different forms of the word worry in just these verses right here. Jesus was making a point. And he's saying, seek my kingdom first. Take your eyes off of yourself and put them on me. Take your eyes off of your worry and put them on me, he's saying. Take your eyes off of work tomorrow and put them on me. Take your eyes off of what's, what that, that phone call that should be coming any day with that good or bad news. Put your focus on me. That relationship that seems to be falling apart, stop worrying and put your eyes on me. Have you heard the song? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Taking our eyes off of ourself and our worries, and we're putting them on him on the author and the perfecter of our faith. In the Beatitudes, he talks a little bit about, going back at the beginning, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. And so if he's telling us to seek the kingdom of God, then we need to find out how to do that. And one way to do that is in Matthew 5, 3. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you real quick. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Well, if I want to seek first his kingdom, then it sounds like I need to be poor in spirit. So he didn't say blessed are the poor. He said blessed are the poor in spirit. One of my favorite author, Tony Evans, this is what he says about that. To be poor in spirit is to be conscious of one's continual dependence on God. Kingdom people recognize their own inadequacy and insufficiency apart from him. God's kingdom refers to God's rule. If you're poor in spirit, you will get to see God's heavenly rule in your earthly life. Only by being desperately dependent on God can you become what he created you to be. I wonder if we're having a hard time with worry because we think we have to fix it. 
because we think the strength has to come from us, because we think we have to come up with the solution, that we're on our own. God made us. He left us peace. No, he is right there with you, wanting you to ask him and to invite him into the circumstance. Poor in spirit is recognizing who we are and who God is. That we are nothing without him. The breath that I'm using right now to speak, the breath that you're using to breathe, came from him. Right? The ability to move, the ability to walk in here came from him. The brain that he's given us to understand words that are spoken comes from him. It's all from him. We were made by him, through him, and for him. And if we can keep that in our hearts and on our minds, I believe that we can see God for who he is, that he is the one we can give these worries to, that he's the one we give these hard circumstances to. I'll say it again, that we cast our burdens on him because he cares for us. And Matthew And Matthew, Jesus says to take up my yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's like, let me take that from you. Let me take that thing from you, that heavy thing from you, and I'm going to give you my yoke, which is easy and it's light. It's that exchange, and it's a beautiful thing. So are are you poor in spirit? Or do you need to... Pray for forgiveness for some pride where you're trying to do it on your own and you think that you're strong enough. Or maybe you think that God can't help you or that he can, but he won't. And that's not our God either. So opening our hands and letting him have it all, just having that that heart set on surrender and acknowledging who we are and who God is. And then in verse 6 in the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We see that word righteousness, which in, in our passage on worry, Jesus said to seek his righteousness. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? For they will be filled. Has worrying, has anxiety ever contented you? Has it ever filled you up? Has it ever brought joy? Has it ever brought solution? No. It leaves me empty. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. God wants us to be filled, to be full of him. Full of his joy, full of his spirit, full of his strength. And whenever we are hungry and we are thirsty for God's will and we are thirsty for his righteousness, that's going to happen. And I have to ask myself, and it would be great if you asked yourself, what are you thirsty for? What are you hungry for? And that a lot of times will show us the condition of our heart. Like, what are you craving? What do you feel like you have to have or you won't be happy? Or you won't be content. Or you won't be satisfied. Is it God's righteousness? Is it his heart? 
Is it his will? If it's not, man, God is so gracious. He's so merciful. Admit that to him. Tell him that. And he's so faithful to forgive, and he's so faithful to help us get back on track. And maybe you don't feel like you're there yet, but you want to be. One of my favorite quotes from Beth Moore, she said one time, and I'll never forget it. I probably heard it when I was 20 years old in a college Bible study. She said, there's something holy about wanting to be holy. Maybe I'm not there yet. Maybe maybe I'm not free from anxiety yet, but I want to be. Maybe I'm not free from that worry yet, but I want to be. I desire to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I desire to realize that I'm poor in spirit. God, help me. Help me. He calls them, he says, calls them you of little faith. And I love the father in one of the gospels where he says, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Like, I need more. I want more belief. God, help us. Help us to believe. God, give us more. So let's go over, if you've got your Bible still out and open, let's turn over to Philippians 4, because that's our other main passage for today. Philippians 4 and verse 4. And we're going to dissect this scripture for a little bit, and then we're just going to go through some different verses, like almost like a washing of the word about anxiety. And I love it. As I was writing and as I was saying it, I'm like, oh, this feels great. You know, just all the different things that God says to combat um, anxiety and ways that he can help us in this in this fight, and in, in this journey. Um, if you have something to write with, um, a paper, pencil, and even your phone, if you go out to the notes section in your phone, you can take notes. We're going to go through a lot of different scriptures. So if something sticks out to you, write the verse down. You don't have to type out the, the scripture, but write the verse, and maybe you can go home Maybe even put it on your wallpaper on your phone so that every time you open your phone, you see that verse. Or write it on a note card and put it in your bathroom um, and on the mirror so that every time you get up, you can see that verse. But God's word is, is strong and it's active and it's sharper than a double-edged sword piercing through bone and marrow. And God's word brings healing and help and hope. Okay, so um, let's look again at, at Philippians 4.4. 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And what will happen? And the peace, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, so going back to verse 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. If something is repeated, it is very important. Because remember, they, they weren't typing on computers. I mean, it's, you know, fast, fast, fast. They were, it was painstaking to write out the words and to make sure it was correct. And so if he says something twice, if you see something twice in Scripture, know that it was important enough to mention twice. And even in that culture, if you repeated a phrase, it was to show emphasis, to make sure you were getting that point. And he's saying rejoice. Not if you're happy. Not just if you feel like it. Not just if things are going your way. Not just if God is answering the prayer about which you have been concerned but to rejoice, do it anyway, praise him anyway. 
Sing the song anyway. Put a smile on your face anyway. Rejoice. Because a lot of times, guys, our feelings will follow our actions. So if we are, if we are being, if we are rejoicing, sometimes our heart will follow that as well. So he's telling them to rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. And what does this, that next part say? Yeah, the Lord is near. He has not forgotten you. He has not made you and left you. He is with you. And as Hagar found out, he is the God who sees. He is El Roy I. I love that name of God. He is the God who sees. And as Abraham found out, he is the God who provides. Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who provides. He is with you. He seeds you. He provides for you. The Lord is near. That's a good one. And if I could just see that everywhere I go, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Okay. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about some things. Don't worry. Don't sweat the small stuff. No. Don't worry about anything. But in everything through prayer and, pet- and petition with what? Thanksgiving. And Josh and I didn't plan this. You know, we're married, but we didn't go over this whole thing. But he was, had y'all say what you're thankful for. And that's a great example of, of what he's saying. So as, as you are, he's saying don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer. So when you start to worry, here's what you do. You pray. You seek his kingdom first. You pray. And you ask. And you petition with thanksgiving. God, I have this thing that's bothering me. I have this thing that I'm worried about. But I've seen you work in my life, God. Thank you for how you've worked in my life. Thank you for family. Thank you for church. Thank you for keeping me from that car wreck that I was so close to having a few minutes ago. Thank you for giving us money to provide for our kids. Whatever. Like you go through the Rolodex, your Thanksgiving. There's something beautiful that happens when we have that heart of Thanksgiving. Present your request to God. And then what will happen? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when it says the peace of God, it feels like that part is just kind of, you know, thrown on the end of the don't worry, and we don't really want to give it much attention, but it deserves much attention. And that phrase, the peace of God, is talking about how God has peace, how God is peace, and how God gives us peace. He has it, he is it, and he gives it to us. Isn't that beautiful? That's what that phrase means. And the peace of God, so keep that in mind, the peace that he gives, the peace that he is, and the peace that he has, surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this book, that Matt gave me to help me study. Says it way more better than I could. More better, you see what I mean? Um, it says it better than I could. And so I'm going to read this to you about that guarding your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 7 ends with the promise. God's all-surpassing peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paradoxically, Paul uses a military term to picture God's peace, that guard word. The image of guarding 
would have connected well with the Philippians, the military garrison that was stationed in Philippi, was responsible for guarding the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. But in contrast to the coercive force that secured the people in Philippi, in the name of Pax, peace, Paul promises a radically different defense. The peace of God himself stands on duty, protecting the thoughts and the hearts of his people. What then do they need to be guarded from? Certainly the fears and anxieties that threaten to overpower their hearts and their thoughts. In addition, this divine peace is able to protect the Christian community from the kinds of fusses and frictions the Philippians are now experiencing. Once again, the phrase, in Christ Jesus, was at the very end of this passage. In Christ Jesus is not simply an afterthought. The unfathomable grace, the unfathomable peace of God that garrisons our hearts individually and corporately is a blessing of union with Christ. We receive God's peace in and through the one who is our peace. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have the peace of God. It's not something that you have to work towards. It is yours for the taking. We can move, and the bottom line is, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And that's not original. It came straight from uh, one of the versions. It's just one of the versions in Philippians 4.6. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. It will guard. It will garrison. It will hold up. It will stand firm. Your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, so here's the time. Got a little bit of time. I just want to read through some of these verses. Okay, you got your, got your fingers ready with your phone or a pencil. Or maybe your memory. Maybe you have a better memory than me. You can just hold it up here. So I'm going to read the verse, and then I'm going to read the reference. So if you hear the verse and you're like, I could use that in my life, <laughs> then write down the reference, and you can look it up later at home and, and do something with it. Anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. Proverbs 12, 26. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Said that one about three times. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Psalm 55, 22. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Ooh, that's a good word right there. Do we need some rest for our souls? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Right? I like that one. That was good, right? Joshua 1.9, the Lord is near. That was Joshua 1.9. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. That's David again in Psalm 94.19. I love this one. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Isaiah 26.3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. That's David again in Psalm 56.3. And the last one, 
This has been this one's near and dear to my heart because I have had trouble sleeping over the past couple months for some different reasons. But it says, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. The Lord sustains me. And sometimes you've all had sleepless nights. Even when you don't sleep well, the Lord sustains you. He provides. He's our Jehovah Jireh. Here's another terribly practical tip that you can take home with you today. And I did this just two weeks ago, and it was profound. So I had some health things going on in my life, and I had a sheet of paper. And I wrote at the top, made two columns. On the left side, what I can't control. On the right side, what I can control. Because I was just worry, 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 anxiety. Um, and the anxiety breeds anxiety, doesn't it? It doesn't ever, it's never enough. It never says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll tone down a little bit. No, it just gets larger and larger and larger. So I wrote on the left side what I couldn't control. You know, it took a, maybe, maybe I used about two lines. <laughs> and then I was kind of had a bad attitude while I was doing this. And then I went on the right side, and I was writing what I could control. And y'all, the Lord allowed me to get creative and not, bam, 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 so many different things that I can control. So many things that I can choose. So many ways that I can get in God's word and hold on to his verses and do practical things. Like do the things that are good for my body, eating well and and exercising and holding my tongue or whatever if you, if you go home and you do this list, I would put money on the fact that your right side is going to be a lot longer than your left side. Through the Holy Spirit, through his power, through praying, not worrying about anything, but praying about everything, there is freedom and there is hope. And I was just in my car this week. I knew I'd be preaching on this, so I had the scripture in my heart. And I started to worry about something. And I just said out loud, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. And I did have to say it a few times, but after I did, I felt my perspective shift. I was more focused on God's will. I was more focused on his righteousness. I was seeking first his kingdom. And some good results came from that. I was no longer thinking about this thing anymore. I moved on. It didn't build and build and build and build. It it tapered off, and I was thinking about other things that were more encouraging and life-giving. God's word is practical. God's word is helpful, and it works. It's good. So one thing I love about children, and I have a lot of them, but one thing I love about especially the younger children, have y'all noticed how kids just seem... They just don't worry about things. And it's so beautiful. And sometimes it's annoying in other ways because, um, like, their biggest thing is what we're having for lunch, right? What are we eating? When is snack time? Like, that's the biggest worry in our home. When is the next time we eat? (laughs) And I love, uh, Jesus talks about having faith like a child, and I believe that this applies as well to worry like a child because they don't. They don't have much to worry about. They're not thinking about all the things we do. Like, what do you say when a kid says, I can't wait to grow up? Stay a kid as long as you can. There are responsibilities and hard things that come with growing up. But I love, I love their hearts and how they are not bent on worry. And they, they're just in the moment. They're in the moment. They're living life to the full. And right now, I bet any young kid, Christmas feels like 
forever away. Do you remember being little and being young and how long it felt to, to the next week and to the next week? I mean, Thanksgiving is four days away. That's probably producing some anxiety in some of you right now. <laughs> My menu, when am I going to shop? When am I going to do these things? Um, his peace can enter that too. But um, they're just, they're living so much in the moment that the rest is so far away. And I want to be like that. I want to be present in the moment. I want, I want God to allow me to be like a child in that sense, to have his peace. So the last thing I'm going to do, because I want to think like a child in that way, I'm going to read to you from our Jesus Storybook Bible. And it's on the Matthew 6 passage. And allow your heart to be open, because this is written so beautifully. And every time I read this book to my kids, I'm like, that was for me. That wasn't just for you. That was for me. And so hopefully you will be encouraged by this version of that part of the Sermon on the Mount like I was. It's called The Singer. Wherever Jesus went, lots of people went to. They loved being near him. Old people, young people, all kinds of people came to see Jesus. Sick people, well people, happy people, sad people, and worried people. Lots of them. Worrying about lots of things. What if we don't have enough food or clothes or suppose we run out of money? What if there isn't enough and everything goes wrong and we won't be all right? What then? When Jesus saw all the people, his heart was filled with love for them. They were like a little flock of sheep that didn't have a shepherd to take care of them. So Jesus sat them all down and he talked to them. The people sat quietly on the grassy mountainside and listened. From where they sat, they could see the blue lake glittering below them and little fishing boats coming in from a night's catch. The spring air was fresh and clear. You see those birds over there? Jesus said. Everyone looked. Little sparrows were pecking at seeds along the stony path. Where do they get their food? Perhaps they have pantries all stocked up, cabinets full of food. Everyone laughed. Who's ever seen a bird with a bag of groceries? No, Jesus said, they don't need to worry about that because God knows what they need and he feeds them. And what about these wildflowers? Everyone looked. All around them, flowers were growing. Anemones, daisies, pure white lilies. Where do they get their lovely clothes? Do they make them? Or do they go to work every day so they can buy them? Do they have closets full of clothes? And everyone laughed again. Who's ever seen a flower putting on a dress? No, Jesus said. They don't need to worry about that because God clothes them in royal robes of splendor. Not even a king is that well-dressed. They had never met a king. But as they gazed out over the lake, glittering and sparkling below them, the hillsides dressed in reds, purples, and golds, they felt a great burden lift from their hearts. They could not imagine anything more beautiful. Little flock, Jesus said, you are more important than birds, more important than flowers. The birds and the flowers don't sit and worry about things, and God doesn't want his children to worry either. God loves to look after the birds and the flowers, and he loves to look after you too. God knew, Jesus knew that God would always love and watch over the world he had made. Everything in it, birds, flowers, trees, animals, everything, and most of all, his children. Even though people had forgotten, the birds and the flowers hadn't forgotten. They still knew their song. It was the song. All of God's creation had sung to him from the very beginning. It was the song people's hearts were made to sing. God made us. He loves us. He is very pleased with us. Does anybody need to hear that today? 
God made you, he loves you, and he's pleased with you. It is why Jesus had come into the world to sing them that wonderful song, to sing it not only with his voice, but with his whole life so that God's children could remember it and join in and sing it too. God cares about you. He desires us to seek his kingdom first, to realize our need for him and have dependence on him for everything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. John Wesley said, Thanksgiving is the surest mark of a soul free from anxiety. Let me read that again. Thanksgiving is the surest mark of a soul free from anxiety. We can move from worry to peace. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, Jesus said. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The kids talked about worry today, too. So if you have kiddos, talk, talk with them about it on the way home. And it seems like that if God had us learn about it and had them learn about it, it must be pretty important to him that as a body we learn about it too and that we work on it and that we take these scriptures to heart and we don't just leave here and forget what was said, but we, we're active. It says the title was Moving from Worry to Peace. It means we have to do something, right? So let's be faithful in that this week because God is with us. The Lord is near. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hall United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.